0: hello um, have you ever wondered about the mid-trib or pre-raft position I will admit this is not a position that I um, am really familiar with I am more familiar with the post-trib position post-trib rapture position and the post-trib um, and the pre-trib rapture position I have heard of mid-trib but I've never I've never studied it and I've also never really heard it explained excuse me as I get a drink of tea there but it is i mean it's interesting and i want to understand the different positions though i may not hold them i do feel that it is good to get an understanding so that you can so that i can honestly present them and a person ought to be willing to study so that in their studies if they find hey i i think this explains it better i, I feel like this is a strong case, then a person ought to be willing and humble enough to admit, I don't know everything. And I'm not, after I just said you ought to be humble enough, I'm not trying to say, look how humble I am. Um, I guess that wouldn't apply because even after studying, I wouldn't hold this position. But I do want to look at it. I do find some of their points very interesting. Um, I see some things that I do disagree with but that's fine. Um, I do want to give credit where credit is due. As I said, it was harder to find a lot of resource on this, but some really good resources that I did find, I had some in some of my normal books that I use to study, but I did find this, and it's called The Biblical Case for Mid-Tribulationism, and it's by Steve W., and I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Lemke, L-E-M-K-E, uh, from the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and I am going to borrow from that. I want to give credit uh, because it is a good. This was a good resource and a very in-depth look at this position. Before we go too much further, I do in this episode want to look at, at the outline of mid-tribulationism, and then I do want to give some pushback, uh, just a few places where I think that that they're in error, um, but that's fine. We ought to be able to discuss theology and doctrine, especially Bible prophecy, and we ought to have good attitudes about it. We ought to remember that we are dealing with Christian brothers and Christian sisters, and where you come down on this issue does not determine your salvation. It may determine some important things, but it does not determine your eternal state. Um, But before we get too far into that, my name is Luke Beats, and this is... Uh, Awake the Bride podcast, and in Romans chapter number 13, verses 11 through 12, the Apostle Paul states that knowing the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light, it is my goal in this podcast to help wake a sleeping slumbering church and to motivate weary believers by looking at current events bible prophecy and apologetics hopefully after we get through with each episode each week hopefully we can get closer to a point to be like Jesus, where he said in John chapter four, verse 35, say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And as I said, I do want to look at two major points in this podcast First, I want to look at um, the mid, how a mid-trib believer would outline the end times, how things are going to work out. And then I do want to look at a critique of this position. But in looking at the outline, they first, a, mid-tribber, a mid-trib believer, and I don't mean that derogatory. If I say mid that's in no way derogatory at all. Um, but a mid-trib believer would look at... Um, would look and say that first, in their outline, first, the signs of the end will become more prevalent. And when they say the signs, they mean some very specific things. They would be pointing to the Olivet Discourse, which is found in uh, Matthew chapter 24, Mark 13, Luke 17, Luke 21, and they would be really pointing towards... um, Uh, Matthew 24, verses 4 through 18, where the Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. Pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes and divers places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall Abound the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel I'm sorry, pardon me. There normally I do this earlier in the morning, and I did record this um, in the morning uh, this morning, but it got cut off and the audio was messed up, so I'm re recording it now a little bit later at night. Um, let me go back to where we were Um, and verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So when they say that, the um, signs of the end are going to become more prevalent. They would be looking at wars, rumors of wars, false Christ, um, the excuse me, the more prevalence of spiritual deceit, they would be looking at nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And when it talks about nation rising against nation or kingdom against kingdom, Excuse me, I'm so sorry, yawning like that. This it, it would not just be like a national war or a war of borders, but it can also be um, wars or conflict between ethnic groups. Um, so, ethne against ethne would be a way you could read this, or ethnic against ethnic. Um, uh, famines, pestilence, earthquakes... Uh, persecution of Christians, as these things, false prophets rising up, as these things become more prevalent, they would say, we are entering the end. Now, it, it should be noted that the mid-trib believer will look at this and say, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but they will say that that the signs of the end, that they really have been um. They have been not prevalent, but they have in periods of time throughout history, they have seemed more prevalent than at others. Uh, so they wouldn't say that, man, I'm going to get way ahead of myself. That they, they would use that to say that they would believe in imminence that Christ can return at any time because we don't know when the tribulation starts. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I do need to point out Um, that it should be noted that mid-trib believers will point out the division, that they will point out that there is a big dividing line in the tribulation uh, into three-and-a-half-year periods, which is correct. And they will point to places like Revelation chapter 11, verse 2, where the Bible says there, But the court, which is without the temple, Leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy sh- city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months, which is three and a half years. And I verse 3, And I will give power unto my witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore, or twelve hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. Now, I've mentioned this in um, past Episodes of Wake the Bar- Wake the Bride podcast, but it needs to be noted that the calendar that would have been used here by the Jews would have been a lunar calendar. In other words, it would have tracked with the moon, and so that is a 360-day calendar, which is different than our um, Western 365-day calendar. And when you plug those numbers in, 1260 days, you come down to exactly three and one-half years. So they will point out that there is a first half of the tribulation, and this will be referred to as the tribulation. But then you get to Revelation chapter 12, verses 6 and verse 14. There are other places you can go, but these are just some of the more prominent ones. And you'll see that after this initial 1,260 days or 42 months, that you're going to see. You're going to see, man, I'm so sorry. You're going to see that the Bible picks up here and says there, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her. There a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and this is important you to catch, for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So when it says time and times and half of time, that word time there would be for a year, and then that's one, And times, or years, so one year, two years, makes three and a half of a time. So three and a half years. Again, and you can clearly see that from Revelation 12, verse 6, which is when we just read that she is nourished for 1,260 days. Again, going back to the lunar calendar, that is exactly three and one half years. So they would point to this distinction and say, why point? Why have such a clear and stressed difference unless it was of the utmost importance? And they would put that importance, they would say, because it is stressed so much, there has to be some major events taking place. And they would say those, that major event would be the rapture of the church at the middle point of the tribulation As i said they would call that first half the tribulation and they would call the second half the great tribulation now they and mid uh, they and pre-wrath uh believers would both also say that that the signs of the end times those that we looked at earlier persecution famine um, pestilence, uh, nation rising against nation, nation ethne against ethne, um persecution, uh, the different things, earthquakes, all of these things. They would say these really are seen in the opening of the seals. And this is a very key thing that they will point to or that a point they will try to make. That the opening of the seven seals and the sounding of the seven trumpets Are not God's wrath they would say these are the signs of the end or some might say these are man's wrath or Satan's wrath and while they will agree that the Christian is not destined to face God's wrath they would say that neither the seals nor the trumpets are God's wrath Um, but moving on to their outline first they would say the signs will become more uh, prevalent But then the second point they would make is the signs of the tribulation coming to fruition bring on the tribulation. They would say that when the tribulation time starts, that it isn't just another time of the signs of the end becoming prevalent for a little while and then dying off. But they would say, even though they may not, and even though they would say they will not, and a person will not know when the tribulation actually starts, they would say that as they become more prevalent and really begin to be fulfilled, these signs begin to be fulfilled, the tribulation has started at that point. Some would even say that we are in the tribulation now, that there's really not any way to know for sure whether we are or not. And they would do this so that they could still um, claim imminence, a belief in imminence that the rapture could happen at any, I'm saying imminent. Yes, that it is an imminent event. Not immanence, but imminent. I'm trying to say that about 10 times fast, the difference there. But anyway, um, I'm sorry. Um, let me get back on track there. They would point to the fact of saying that as these signs are literally fulfilled, not just foreshadowed and typed, that the tribulation actually begins. But as I said, since they... W- Since they try to hold to the doctrine of imminence, of an imminent rapture, they would say that they believe in that and they agree with Jesus that he said, No man knows the day or the hour. This is another really big point, and somehow I left this out in my notes, but I need to make it. They would look at the Olivet discourse and they would say that it's really not primarily to the Jew, they would say that it is primarily to the church. Now, I would agree with them that the Olivet Discourse does apply to the church, and the church is in view in parts of it. But I would also say that, yes, there are some aspects of it that are very Jewish, um, and it is really directed to them in a lot of places. Uh, But they would see that as very minor. They would really flip it, whereas I would say that the Olivet Discourse really is, strongly to the jew and i don't know maybe half and half uh to really get down to a a division and a uh you know something like that Then a fractional amount which part goes to this and which part goes that i'm really not prepared to do but they would say that it is primarily to the church um and now mid-tribbers will say along with post-tribbers that we may now be in the tribulation. Because of their view of the Olivet Discourse, they would say that Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. So because of that, they would say, well, then that must mean we don't know when the tribulation is going to start. Because if we knew when the tribulation would start, they understand the fact, if you know when the tribulation starts, then you can calculate to the day when it ends. And if it ends as a post-trib would say, with the rapture, then that would knock post-tribulationism out as the sole correct view. And if you could say that it happens at the midway point or at the point that makes that middle, that hard middle, which they would say there is a hard middle of the tribulation, then if you knew when it started, you could calculate the days so they would say, they would get around this by saying, well, you really don't know. You're not going to know. Since these signs have been happening all through history, uh, periodically, sometimes stronger than others, we're not going to know until it happens. Until the rapture, we're not going to understand. Um, now, they would do this, as I said, so that they can say the rapture can still happen at any time. Um, they would say that because we don't know when it's when the tribulation starts, you cannot accurately calculate uh, when Jesus will return. Number three, they would say once the signs are complete, the end time events begin. These events are kicked off. They would they would look and say that the kickoff of the end time, so to speak, that they will be kicked off and started, and um, demonstrated by the premillennial return of Jesus in the rapture. Now, some mid-tribulationists uh, will look, and they will point to Revelation chapter 14, beginning at verse number 14. And the Bible says there, John wrote, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one set like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the on the cloud, "Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe." And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now they would say this is some of them would say this is the timing of the rapture here in Revelation chapter 14, and they're going to tie that because of some very strong similarities to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, where Paul wrote, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with The Lord. Um, Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So, the mid trib person who holds that the initial rapture, and really the only rapture, as they would say, of the church, as they would say, as some would say, it's in Revelation 14, they will point to Revelation 14, compare it with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and they will point to the fact that in both, the Son of Man, Jesus, he returns. Um, they will both po- they will point to the fact that in both of them Jesus does not set foot on the ground, but he reaps or calls up, herpodsels, uh, raptures up to him the believer, the, those who are waiting and ready. Um, they will point out the fact that both uh, mention a angel, uh, an ark, arch- an angel crying out as this begins. Um, they will point to the fact that. In both instances, it would seem that those who are reaped are caught up to be with Jesus. So, and, and I don't, and I do not deny there are strong similarities, and we'll look at some of those in a later program or a later episode. But other Mid Trib believers, they will point, um, maybe not so much to Revelation 14, but they'll point to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. And they'll point to where the Bible says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now they will point to this because the seventh trumpet to be sounded is the final of the trumpets, what I would call trumpet judgments. Um, And really what I believe the Bible points to is trumpet judgments, but we'll get into that in a minute. But they will point to this and say, since the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed But here in verse 52, it says, at the last trump. And so some mid-tribbers will pull, and again, I'm not trying to be derogatory by saying mid-tribbers. I've said pre-tribbers and post-tribbers all through it, um, through this series. So I'm not being derogatory. And if someone is offended by the use of, I I don't know why, you would be. But if you are, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just... It's a little easier to say mid-tribber than mid-tribulation rapturist. (laughs) Just a little bit easier for me. Um, So um, the mid-tribber that would hold to this in Revelation chapter 11 being the point of the rapture, they would do that because of the phrase there in 1 Corinthians 15, 52, when it speaks of the last trump. Number four in the outline of the mid-trib position, how they would outline this. Um, Number four, the saints are in heaven and at rest while the bowls of wrath are being poured out on the earth, thus fulfilling the time of the great tribulation. Now, mid-trib believers and pre-wrath believers would hold to the fact that, or many pre-wrath believers, some might differentiate between the trumpets and the um, seals. And again, I apologize for the yawning that I'm doing. Um, I'm not bored by the topic. I just, it's been a long day. But anyway, um, I'm so sorry. But they would point to the fact, or to what they would say, they would point and try and make it a fact of saying that the seals and the trumpets are not judgments and wrath from God. No, as I said earlier, they would say those are the wrath of men, the wrath of the Antichrist, or simply the signs of the time. And so that's why they would say that the Christian goes through that, the Christian faces the Antichrist. They would point back. um, Let me see if I can pull this up while I'm looking at some of these other things. Because one thing they will do is they will point to the book of 2 um, Thessalonians. Uh, while I pull that up, um, let me hit this real quick while I'm looking this up. As I said, so they will look and say that the Christian is going to go through the first half of the tribulation. And they'll say that uh, the Christian will face the Antichrist. He is going to face them. He's They're not going to leave. And here we are, I found, here we are. They will point to this passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And they're going to point to the fact where it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, nor or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by a letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the Son of perdition and so they'll point to that and they'll say right there see the rapture because it talks about the gathering of our gathering together to the lord and It talks about the day of christ um, they will say see right there it says it cannot happen until the antichrist is revealed so we will meet the antichrist is be the point they make and they would say but we do not face the wrath of God, which is what their point they're making right here. Number four when they said that the saints that the saints are at rest in heaven while the bold judgments, the only ones that they would the only ones they would say are the actual wrath of God are poured out on the earth. Um, and that would be the great tribulation. And we'll get into some of the reasons why I would differ with them on this. Uh, number five, Once a great tribulation, and this is the final point on the outline that they themselves would present. Once the great tribulation has ended, Jesus will return to the earth in the second advent to set up his millennial kingdom. After this comes the final judgment and the eternal state. This would be Jesus bringing and ushering in that 1,000 year reign of peace and righteousness on earth. After which time there is the final judgment. Which brings in the very end, that eternal state, to where people will be, however they are, for all of eternity. Now, this is how they themselves do outline. This is how they would outline um, the end times according to their position. Now, I do have some issues that I would like to point out and reasons why I think that this view falls short of being the sole correct view. Um, And really each one of these I've had to say, I don't think any of them are the sole correct. I don't think you can say it is only pre-trib. It is only post-trib or it is only mid-trib. And we'll get into what I mean by that later. Um, But there are some problems with this view. Number one, the idea that the beginning of the beginning point of the tribulation will be unknown. The Bible gives us two very clear things that will happen that will kick off the great tribulation. Number one, you're going to see that the Bible speaks of the confirming of a peace treaty or a covenant. You'll see this in Daniel chapter nine verse twenty-seven. The Bible says there, and he about the antichrist. And if you want to know why I say that's the antichrist, um. That would take way too long to get in on this longer episode that we're already doing. Um, I have a series. We have a series on the Antichrist. Go back, listen to those, and you're going to see why I would say this is has to be the Antichrist spoken of here. But anyway, um, do some cross-referencing. Don't just look in Daniel chapter 9, verse Daniel chapter 9, and you will clearly see this isn't. Dealing with the Antichrist. But anyway, I digress. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And I know that's a whole lot. There's a lot of things in there. And if you've never looked at this before, you might have just got overwhelmed and said, what on earth? go back and listen to the episodes on the abomination of desolation and the episodes on the Antichrist. It will make this more clear. But for the sake of time, let me just point to the fact um, that when it says confirm, this can either mean that they will st- that the Antichrist is going to strengthen an already existing covenant or peace treaty or, He will make a new, brand new peace treaty. But this will be the kickoff of the Great Tribulation. So that is one thing that will happen during this. And I can understand, if that was the only definite thing, um, event, then maybe you could say, well, well, people aren't going to know when it happens that, hey, this is happening. And maybe that's correct. But there's a second one that I think makes it so glaringly clear that we can know and it will be obvious when this happens number 2 um, of the two signs the two things that will scream the beginning of the great uh, the beginning of the tribulation revelation chapter number 11 verse number 3 speaks of two witnesses that will prophesy and we already read a little bit about them earlier in the uh, passage uh, earlier the passage earlier in the podcast in the episode of the uh, this episode um But it says here, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. And a mid-trib believer would say, this is the first half of the tribulation. This is the tribulation, not the great tribulation. Christians are going to see this. But listen to what they do. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them. Fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. No one is going to miss these two guys. As the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it it leads. And if these people are shooting fire out of their mouth or are able to call down fire from heaven, I was trying to see exactly how this is saying it. Yeah, fire proceedeth out of their mouth. That ain't going to happen much until bam, every, I mean, just bam, every news camera is going to be on these people. They're not going to be turning water into blood and making it not rain. And people just be like, ah, it's just, you know, same as yesterday. Everything's fine. That ain't going to happen. These people are going to be attention grabbers. And in our digital internet age, it will not be hard to see when they started. And the Bible specifically says they will prophesy for 1260 days, which is exactly three and one half years. In fact, it's one of the measurements that a mid-trib believer would use to show the distinction between the tribulation and the great tribulation. These two things, especially the second one, the appearance of the two witnesses, I don't see how people are going to miss that. I believe that, that just as the imminence of the rapture and the unknowing of when exactly it will happen, as Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, not, not the angels of heaven, not me, not the son of man. No one knows but my father. That is the Achilles heel of the post-tribulation view, and it's also the Achilles heel of the mid-trib view. I don't see how you can get around those um, that point on either one of them. But the second major issue that I have, there are some other issues, minor ones that I have, but the second major issue that I have would be the mixing of the end-time signs with the wrath poured out by God in the seven seals and the seven trumpets. Why do I have an issue with that? Because they would say this is not the wrath of God when a careful, not even a careful, just a casual looking at scripture says the opposite. Look at this. Revelation chapter number six, the Bible says there, and I saw when the Lamb, talking about Christ, opened the seals, opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder. One of the four would be saying, Come and see. Who opens a seal? Who instigates the sealed judgments? It's Christ. Jesus does this. He starts the pouring out of this wrath and this judgment. How can you say this is not the wrath of God when he's the one that's making it happen, that's starting it, that's instigating it, that's carrying it out? But for further evidence, go down to verse 15 of chapter 6. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. And said unto the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from, catch this, the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand. This is before the trumpet judgments. We're still in the seal judgments. And they understand this is judgment from God. So I really don't understand how on earth someone can say the seals the seals, and the trumpets are not judgment from God. But that's the seals right there. Clearly stated to be the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb. But what about the uh, the trumpets? you'll go, if you'll go with me to Revelation chapter 8, the Bible says, and I saw the seven angels which stood before God, that's important, which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which came came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound." Do you see this? These, these that are fixing to blow the trumpets, they are right before God. They are given trumpets. They are... Uh, the, the the one angel is... He comes to the altar and he is given a golden censer which has uh, as incense in it and he offers it and it's the prayers of the saints. The seven angels, it says in verse 6... They prepare themselves. All of this is happening right before the throne of God. Who gives them authority to do this? Who is it that approves what they're fixing to do? This comes directly from heaven, this comes directly from the throne look in Revelation chapter number nine, when it talks about the, make sure I say, yeah, the fifth um, angel sounding the trumpet. But listen to what it says here. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. I mean, it is not, it, it does not make logical sense to say that this is just man's wrath when it is specific That God is giving authority and giving the orders for this to be done. And then to say, well, God doesn't have anything to do with this. That makes no sense. Um, No sense whatsoever. Um, However, I do want to point out, and as we wrap this up, uh, I want to go back just real quick. To Revelation chapter number fourteen, as I said, that mid trippers will use this passage as a point to say, "Hey, this is when the tribulation, this is when the rapture takes place." It really can't be; it's it's not possible to say. And, and I'm not denying this is a rapture passage. I would say it is a rapture passage, but I would not say that it is the. It's a very key thing there I would say it is a rapture passage it is not the rapture passage and I would not uh, anyway um, if you catch the meaning there and the emphasis that I added that I was using I would say this is not a the single one and only rapture passage It's not the one and only gathering that's going to happen and I know some people may be saying what on earth Luke are you talking about we will get there I promise Good Lord willing. Um, But if you read earlier in that chapter, uh, in Revelation chapter number 14, you're going to see that this can't be the only time that a catching away has happened you're going to see in verse number one, the Bible says, and I looked and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion and with him a 140 and 4,000 having their father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of great thunder. And I heard the voice of Harper's harping with their harps, and they sung a new song, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. I would say that this is different from the 144,000 Jews, and I'm just going to be completely transparent on this. I do not think that it is a literal 144,000, and I'm going to say just as clearly as I can, this is my opinion. I'm not saying this is what you have to agree with. You don't have to agree with me. I think you already know that. That's fine. But I would not say that this 144,000 is a literal number. Maybe it is. I have no idea. Um, To me, it doesn't make sense for it to be, but that's perfectly okay. I do think that the 144,000 Jews is literal. And the reason I would say that, and you'd say, why are you contradicting yourself and being arbitrary? I don't feel like I'm being arbitrary. I don't think I'm being nitpicky because with 144,000 Jews, it specifically lists the amount of each Jew. Of Jews from each tribe. It stresses that 144,000. It doesn't do that here. And it also simply says, it doesn't say they're all over the Jews. It would say these are redeemed from among men. So I would say this is a group, a general group from among all the tribes of the earth, from Jews and Gentiles both. Um, It says, and in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So these are already there before the throne of God. They are already right there uh, in heaven. They're already that there. there's harps, there's angels. All of these things are happening. This is during the tribulation. You know it's during the tribulation, that they are already in heaven, because you did get down to verse number eight, and the Bible says, And there followed another angel saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations to drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, You see in verse 9, the mark of the beast is mentioned. Those who take the mark are told that they are going to be damned for all eternity. There's no hope for that person. No matter what anybody says, if a person takes the mark of the beast, that's it for them. That is sealed, signed, and over. You also see that during this time, there are some that are still on earth. There are saints on earth because you see... Uh, that the Bible says here in verse number 12 of Revelation 14, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the spirit that they may rest from their labors, their works do follow them. So there is already the first fruits in heaven. There's already been a rapture, a harpazo, a catching up. And then we get to this. So this cannot be the one and only. Just from the very context of the chapter, it, it just can't. I would say it is a catching away. But I would say it's not the pre-tribulational one. And I would also say it's not the post-trib one. Um, or actually, let back, me back that up. Let me back that train up just a little bit. I would, I think I, and I, Yes, I would point to this as really fitting the post-trib view a lot better than the mid-trib, and there are reasons why, and I will get into that Um, when we look at the partial rapture view. I'm going to look very deeply at this passage. Um, But we've already went way too long on this episode, so I need to close it out. Those are just some of the issues that I have with the uh, mid-trib view. Um, But in conclusion, in light of all that we have seen today, let's go out and let's do as Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse number two, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's wake up and go out to win a lost world for our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed the interaction that we've had um, especially the amount we've had as of late Um, give me you know give me some feedback let me know kind of what you're thinking uh, if you'd like for us to go maybe a little bit different direction into apologetics i do want to mix some of that in um, into maybe more current events i did there was one person who had mentioned just on a totally different thread not on uh, the Facebook page, but had mentioned that we should do a maybe a uh, an episode that shows a distinction of the rapture and the second coming. And I've thought about doing that for the next week's um, program. I don't know. I'm either going to do that to show the distinction between the two or I'm going to just jump in to the partial rapture to finish the um, series on the rapture. I'm not really sure yet. If you want to give me your opinion Message us, uh, leave us a comment, um, post on the Wake the Bride podcast, and keep listening. Thank you all so much, and Lord bless.